Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is when this hits your ears. I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict. If this is your first time listening, or if you're a regular listener of Murder and Mediumship, I'd like to, number one, ask that you give this a five-star rating and review on iTunes so that each victim story can be heard by more listeners. And number two, I would like to say that anything that you hear on this show will have source materials linked in the show notes. My feelings on each case are based on intuitive hits and downloads, and everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And speaking of entertainment... Before I get to the case, I'd like to also invite you to check out Catherine Ann Intuitive on Patreon. There we share weekly energy updates, monthly energy reads, journal prompts, interviews with murderers or celebrities who are past and on the other side, as well as monthly self-care workshops. Join us for September's and help support the show and the spreading of the voices of those who have lost theirs. We are going to get to the case of Daphne Felicia Jones. Daphne was born on July 16, 1976 to Dr. Marla Oakes. Daphne was a student at the University of New Orleans and living nearby her grandmother, Ethel Clark. She grew up in New Orleans, attending both elementary and middle school there, but moved to Washington, D.C. during her high school years. She started college at the University of Maryland, but would transfer to the University of New Orleans after about one year. With her siblings still in the D.C. Maryland area, she was living closer to her grandmother Ethel again. And Daphne had a knack for, and a love for, learning languages. She dreamt of traveling the world one day and using her love of language for a career in either teaching or international relations. Her mother, Dr. Oakes, was actually in school administration, so it's really no surprise that Daphne would be thinking about and following suit in that direction. But that would all change on January 3rd, 1999, when Daphne's grandma Ethel dropped her off at her apartment around 1.50. This is 1.50 p.m. Her grandmother is quoted as saying that something didn't feel right about dropping her off at that dark apartment. And it's not uncommon to hear people say that they had bad feelings about something but shrugged it off. Bad feelings like that can be intuition, though, and It doesn't make you crazy for following those gut instincts. Follow your intuition when something doesn't feel right, especially if it's around your safety or the safety of someone else. Daphne had only recently moved into the apartment. She, in fact, had been living in the dorms on campus prior to finding out that she was pregnant. She was about eight weeks pregnant at the time of her disappearance, and once she found out, she had all intention of keeping the baby, and the baby... Her boyfriend didn't necessarily want to keep, and he's not going to be named on this podcast because he hasn't been named publicly as a suspect, so therefore we cannot use his name here. He didn't want her to keep this baby, and she moved out of the dorms, and she planned on dropping her classes and moving back to the Washington, D.C. area to live with her mom, Dr. Marla Oaks. Marla had promised Daphne that she would help her with raising the baby and that she completely had her back and understood that she did not want to abort the baby. In fact, Daphne was very adamant about this. It wasn't something that she was going to change her mind on. And her boyfriend was evidently quite adamant, equally adamant, that she needed to terminate the pregnancy. So she was actually planning on being back in the D.C. area 
in the next six days. She had a plane ticket already purchased and she was going to leave only six days from the time that she disappeared. So January 3rd has to be at the beginning of a semester, right? It seems to me that it would have been a relatively easy thing to do at the time in the semester. So with that being said, she was supposed to be at Brennan's restaurant at 3 p.m. that day for her hostessing shift. This is about an hour and 10 minutes after her grandma, Ethel, dropped her off at her apartment. Daphne didn't show up for that shift. And according to various sources, she had been on the phone with her cousin at the time of her shift and was very upset. So what do I feel about this? I feel she was on the phone with her cousin after arguing with her boyfriend about how he didn't want her to keep the baby. And I'm not sure, but I do feel that he was a little bit older than her, at least by a few years. And I believe that she had every intention of going to work that afternoon. But after getting into that argument with him, I feel like she just wasn't comfortable going or she was upset, but she was kind of vague with her cousin as well about what it was that was really bothering her. One could assume it was about her boyfriend, although intuitively I I do feel like that's what she had been talking to her cousin about, but we'll get to that in more detail in a moment. So what I get is also the image of like a black sports car, but older and not a cool vintage old, but kind of a crappy, look what I'm driving, brand name, whatever kind of car, even though it looks like a total rust bucket and barely runs, but look at me because it's this brand kind of thing. Again, I can only tell you what I see, and it's not necessarily all put together in these pretty pieces. As I've shared on the show before, we kind of get puzzle pieces and it's up to detectives and law enforcement to use the information that they get and that they collect from any kind of psychic medium that they may be inclined to work with if they are even inclined to work with them. So with that said, I get the sense that after arguing, he told her he was leaving. And what I can't fully connect is if he was on the phone with her for this argument or if he was there in person, because I feel like there's like a coming and a going, but I also feel like they had a lot of like tit for tat arguments in the days prior to this. And he was there a lot at her apartment. So I don't know necessarily that seeing her with him there for this argument is actually he was there in that point in time or if he had been there recently. But as far as he was concerned, they were over. He couldn't have her deciding that though, and she had already decided it. I feel she told him that they were done if he didn't want anything to do with the baby and with her, and she was leaving. And he had a temper, and I believe that he surprised her in her own home not long after her grandmother had left, and that they argued. They argued on the phone, if that's what I'm seeing, and then they argued in person. But I believe after he left, Daphne called her cousin and something, after he left or after they hung up, Daphne called her cousin and something had clicked or snapped that he couldn't really come back from when he found out she was keeping the baby. He was so full of rage about this and didn't want the responsibility of this child I feel she was on the phone with her cousin. She was upset about this, but she couldn't quite put her finger on what she was supposed to do. So there wasn't really a full conversation around it. There was just, she was upset. I feel like he came by and I believe that it's when he came by 
after that conversation with her cousin, that's when he killed her. I think the timeline is all very like one, two, three, kind of quick happening between grandma dropping her off, her arguing with her boyfriend, being on the phone with her cousin, and then her boyfriend coming back to the apartment. I think it was like a one thing after another kind of thing. And I don't think that she left that apartment alive. I feel he came by and it kind of, he kind of took her by surprise and then he killed her. I do feel like it's something around the throat. It feels hard to breathe for me. And I feel that he first hit her to disorient her and then strangled her. But wholeheartedly, I believe he came prepared to get her out of his life for good. It wasn't enough that she'd be halfway across the country and that she didn't want anything to do with him or her child to have anything to do with him. But he had to make sure, absolutely certain that she wouldn't come looking for him later that day, later that day, later in her life for either her own well-being or for that baby for like um, custody or child support or anything like that. And what's extra haunting to me is that she was leaving in six days and he just couldn't handle her leaving or keeping the baby or her staying. Nothing would have made him happy. He snapped. And I do feel and hear this like crinkly texture. And I feel that it could be a tarp or some sort of um, bags, like thicker bags that he used to take her outside in. There was no blood, so there was nothing to really clean. And his DNA and fingerprints would have already been there because they had been dating. And I keep hearing trunk, trunk. She's in the trunk. I really feel that he put her in the trunk or at least hidden under things in in the backseat, but more than likely the trunk. And I do feel this very intense letter M as in marble or maybe, and it, it feels like it's around a park. Anyway, to go back to the timeline, because we're a little all over the place here today, I apologize. After Daphne didn't show up for work and no one had heard from her, the timeline is a little unclear as to when a missing persons report was filed, but her case received absolutely no media attention whatsoever. And the reason it's unclear as to whether or not a missing persons report was filed is because when you Google Daphne Felicia Jones, finding any information on her is kind of, it's hard to come by. So this bright, young, beautiful college girl goes missing and no one's talking about it. And I don't need to state the obvious here, but we all have been following along, right? Black women historically have not made the cut to hit the national media when they disappear. And before Daphne's mom passed away in 2008, she had been on the news making statements about the disappearance of her daughter not mattering to the public as much as Chandra Levy, who would disappear two years later, or as much as pregnant Lacey Peterson, who disappeared in December of 2000. She cited the only difference in the status of these women was the color of their skin, and reporters ran with that. They ran with these two white girls who were missing, and they didn't take Daphne's story despite her family's vast and persistent efforts. Her family was out there handing out flyers, calling reporters, calling newspapers, and to no avail. An article on the website, Our Black Girls, talks about how Daphne's Aunt Helena remembers Daphne's apartment looking as if she had left it in a hurry. The heater was turned on, the iron was on, the TV was on, and Daphne had warmed up some food, but seemed to have abandoned it all. Even her ID and backpack were found in her apartment. And by the way, Daphne's family had to convince the landlord to give them access to Daphne's apartment. To me, I would assume that police would be in there combing through everything, but it doesn't sound like it. 
It sounds as if they were likely given the spiel, the family was given the spiel about Daphne being an adult and making her own decisions, and she had probably just up and left of her own volition, and you can't look for an adult who doesn't want to be found. After sharing what I saw with a friend of mine who lives in New Orleans, she was able to verify some things for me. That letter M that I felt around a park, there's actually a park called Music Legends Park in the area and a theater called Mahalia Jackson Theater of Performing Arts, which I believe is in Waldenburg Park in New Orleans. When I read the name Mahalia, I got chills all over my body. And it's my understanding that the area has been through difficult times at various points in history, and that at some points, the theater wasn't even in operation. And if you're a member of our Patreon, you'll see the map where that area is circled in a conversation with a friend of mine who was able to show me a little bit more about the area so that I could understand what I was seeing. And she's also intuitive, so what she was picking up was so close to what I was picking up that it really makes you feel even more validated in the information that you're receiving. I'm not saying she's for sure there, but something resonates about that with me. Mahalia just gives me chills up and down my body every time I say it. And it seems that, again, the police failed to take the report of a missing woman of color seriously. The media let this woman down. They let her baby down. They let her family down. And somewhere out there, and her family believes this to be true as well. There is a killer who took their baby and their grandbaby from them. And that person is likely free today because no one took looking for him seriously. His name hasn't been released to the public. And I believe he has never even been named a person of interest, let alone a suspect in her disappearance. We've let this poor girl down, this poor woman down. But it's never too late to spread awareness. Daphne's high school classmates raised money for a scholarship in her honor, and she has not been forgotten by those who loved her, despite the media letting her down. And if you're curious about donating to that scholarship, it looks as if it's closed at this time, but if it reopens in the future, I will absolutely post information on how to get to it to donate in her name. Not long after Hurricane Katrina in 2005, Dr. Marla Oaks was on the Dr. Phil show. And I'm going to share with you a quote from the transcript of the show. These are Dr. Marla's words about the disappearance of her daughter. My siblings and I would go out and we would put out flyers for Daphne. We had called television stations to ask for help to see if we could get Daphne's picture on the news. The only person that actually got back in touch with us was an African-American anchor woman. I remember asking the newspapers if they would give us some time and I never got a return phone call from them. But Marla saw a different reaction when it came to the missing person cases of Chandra Levy and Lacey Peterson. She says, I saw Chandra's story on there. Lacey wasn't even a citizen of Washington, D.C., and her story was in there numerous times. We saw Lacey all day long, all night, day in and day out, and I realized then, Marla, here's the clue. Daphne's black. I read once that you can actually die from a broken heart, so I must have numerous lives because my heart's been broken over and over and over again, and I don't know how many more times it can be broken. I want to tell her that we never gave up. I just want Daphne to know that. I need her to know that there's not a thought that I have that does not include her. As if being a woman of color 
and going missing in this country doesn't make it difficult enough to have you looked for, to get the media attention that you so deserve. The risk of death for pregnant women is actually twice as high as it is for non-pregnant women. According to a study done by the National Institute of Health, it is estimated that for every 100,000 women who were pregnant or postpartum, there were 12.9 homicide deaths, which outnumber deaths from any single obstetric cause, including hypertensive disorders and amniotic fluid entering the bloodstream. And this research, this study, was specific to Louisiana. It has been 22 years since Daphne disappeared. Her mother and grandmother have since passed, and we can still find answers for the rest of her family and for her friends and loved ones left behind. Share her story. Look at her picture. Say her name. Thank you for listening to this episode of Murder and Mediumship.